Welcome to Life on Pause, a podcast defining the experience of being a young adult with cancer. Each episode, we explore issues impacting young adults in and after treatment. Like what you hear? Have something to add? Come join us for next month's recording, the third Tuesday at 6 p.m. My name is Colton. I am 18. I go to Newport and I was treated for um, T-cell leukemia. I'm currently in maintenance. Hi guys, my name is Alex. I'm 17, turning 18 in a week and a half. I'm currently a senior in high school and I had acute lymphoblastic leukemia, which was a B-cell. My name is Jay. I'm 17. I had T-cell blood lymphoblastic lymphoma, and I am completely cancer-free. So welcome, everybody. So you were invited tonight to, um, to share about not only your cancer experience, but specifically through the lens of video gaming. Let's start there. So what are currently your favorite video games? That is a good one. There have been a lot of games that have taken my attention for a certain amount of time. My current one is an MMO on the PC called Final Fantasy XI. It, it's one that you really spend a lot of time to make progress in. I've been playing it almost daily at this point. Other ones I've played on, on other systems would include things like Pokemon on the Switch. One of my favorite video games I have played a lot. When I was in treatment, I played a lot of PUBG Mobile, and Call of Duty. Those are some really big games I played. As of now, I play a lot of Minecraft, and I do have the time because I am getting ready to graduate high school, and I'm doing online college. I don't have a lot of time. So it's very spotty for when I'm on Minecraft, but those were some really good multiplayer games I was able to choose from when I had to stay home with my treatments, and I was really able to connect my friends from there. It did help me a lot. I play a good bit of Minecraft, too. I play everything from Rocket League to GTA to Rainbow Six Siege to Overwatch. I play a vast variety of games all at different times with a whole bunch of my friends. And if any family ever gets on, I'll play with some of them. Um, I have like cousins and stuff that do streaming. And I have a few friends that are small streamers and they'll do some stuff and I'll hop on with them and We'll just play for hours and hours and hours. Question then. Um, so what's an average amount of time you spend gaming each day? And maybe that's changed. Like maybe it's different from right now to when you were in treatment. So when I was in treatment, I would play about two to three hours in the evening because I did have to attend virtually with my school during the day and get my work done. So in the evening, I would hop on PUBG Mobile, Call of Duty, or Minecraft, and I would play with my friends from there. We would always text and say, hey, are you free to play? And, you know, what time would work? And whenever they were free, we would play from there. And now that I'm two years out of treatment and attending online college, um, it's less than an hour. I don't really have the time to play anymore, but it is still fun to play. I would say that I do play a couple hours a day. When I was going through maintenance, I actually didn't always feel good enough to play games. But when I did, it would be for a little while. And just something to help distract me from feeling sick or just feeling down all the time. 
I had friends to play with. I have more friends to play with nowadays, but I felt I was semi alone for a lot of the time I was playing back then. Yeah, I uh, don't know if I play more now or if I played more during some of my treatments. I started kind of getting into gaming a little bit before actually I was diagnosed. Throughout like my treatment actually made me get a lot closer with friends and stuff because I was just online more and gaming more throughout some of the things. So it can average to maybe like three hours at a time, but then it can go also to like six hours. It's it's no strict time regimen. Yeah, you put a number on it, it just goes by too fast. Yeah, so just roughly, I think those are good numbers to start with. Jay, you mentioned that some of your friendships got closer as you played more. Can you tell us more about that? I always have like a smaller kind of friend group. Like I knew everybody, but like just my very close friend group is much smaller than some. We were always close, but after uh, my diagnosis, I was on a lot, lot more than what I normally was when I wasn't really. I was just kind of like, we were friends, but like I'd get on like once, twice a day just for like a few hours. Wasn't very oriented around a certain like, oh, I'm going to play with this guy, this guy or whoever. The more I played, the closer I got with the people. So they'll tease me about something. I'll tease them back. There's no safety in my PlayStation parties. Anything's on the table, but it's nothing but love in they were with me through the hardest times and the times that were easy peasy. I have a smaller friend group too. Like I have a lot of friends, but there's only a couple people I really talk to about games and stuff. I can get into a Discord chat with them. Sometimes I want to slap them, but I know they're my really close friends and I really do care about them. Yeah, I do have a friend group too. We would, um, even in quarantine, when we all had to quarantine because of COVID, uh, that's, Video games definitely helped us connect more because, you know, everything went virtual. We couldn't see each other in person. There was a lot of Minecraft um, during quarantine. You know, there'd be times where I'd build something and then they would blow it up and I got really mad. I've actually made games for my friends on there. And so I've created games for them to play in it, which I say we've had a good bit of fun with as well. Would you talk about your cancer experience and diagnosis while you were gaming? I'm free, free to talk about it. Yeah, it was pretty unsavory as it was occurring. But if anyone ever has any questions, I just answer them. I don't really, I'm already too sensitive to it. Yeah, it was the same for me. And I'm not going to lie, some of the medical stuff was pretty cool. I would tell them, oh, I got to see my spinal fluid when they took my lumbar punctures and it looked just like water. It was nothing gross. And they would all get, but, you know, I say, look at your water bottle that's sitting next to you. You know, it just looks like it. It's nothing bad. Sometimes when I was sick, I'd explain what was happening. And, you know, even when I was sick and I knew what was going on in me, it was still cool to talk about. So if they ever did have questions, I would answer them. I will say, though, Jay, you know how you said with your friends that everything's on the table? Yeah. With my friends, everything was on the table. Basically, they'll make they'll make cancer kid jokes. Just that's it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and and, and like a make-a-wish joke, maybe. But I'd laugh at it, too. It's fine. Yeah. I was um, they weren't actually starting to get better. I actually work at this place now. I help tutor kids who have behavioral issues. Um, there's this one kid who, 
who would always come up to me and, you know, he would kind of make jokes. When my hair was patchy, he would call me Caillou because I was bald. <laughs> it was bad, I'm going to admit, but, you know, I let it slide because, you know, it didn't bother me. I answer any questions that my friends have, but also I'll just talk about it if they're ever uh, just normally. I can't normally get a day without mentioning something about it or talking about something. Yeah, everything's on the table for my my friends. Uh, A few times my friends call me like Mr. Clean or something uh, (laughs) because me being bald at one point, everything's on the table. They'll call me Doughboy because I gained some weight over some um, of my steroids. But I always crack back at them in some way. It's just nothing but love. I normally go for like hours just joking about my cancer myself just because even though something so terrible happened, I can I try to look at a lot of the positives that like it's it's taught me a lot about the medical field. And I'm looking to get like more into the medical field, like when I get older and go into that lane. So like it's just widened my knowledge in that sense. Normally, some of the admission stories or just things in general is, can be humorous. I, I asked a nurse if they needed me to do jumping jacks because they couldn't get my IV to work. Yeah, I had a lot of fun. Even though admissions, like being stuck there for weeks on end was tough, I did have a lot of fun stories. And because of the steroids, um, they called me the bottomless pit because um, I have high metabolism. So anything I eat, I won't get weight from. And it is really annoying, especially when you're on chemo and you can't eat and you're underweight. The nurses would always call me the bottomless pit because I would bring, and this was my favorite food, cheesy stuff or dairy. I would eat lots of it. Oh, yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't gain a pound and they would just say, that's the bottomless pit. There was one time where I was in for high dose methotrexate and the doctor was weighing me because the methotrexate was making me sick and I was losing a lot of weight. And so he had to help me up because I was having trouble walking and he put me on the weighing scale. They weighed my weight and they put me back on the bed and I was just kind of sitting there and the doctor had taken a few steps back and he tripped over the weighing machine and I really did my best not to laugh because I didn't want to be mean because the guy was helping me. But um, he's just like, oh, it's okay. You can laugh. Were the foods that got you through? Sounds like cheese was really important to you, Alex. What foods could you not have done cancer without? Cheese pizza, because at one point I did eat an entire medium cheese pizza in 15 minutes. That's my best. Um, Cheetos like milkshakes or smoothies, that's something dairy. That's something that they give me through. If you're in emissions and you ask for a chocolate milkshake, they will bring it to you. Whenever I was underweight, they'd say, does a chocolate milkshake sound appetizing to you? And I'm like, yeah, I'll have one. And they would have a food cart that came out to emissions. So when the lady knocked on my door and she says, oh, the food cart's out here. You want to come get something? I would jump out of my bed and I would be running for that food cart. And one time, I was going so fast, I accidentally unplugged the code plug for the bed instead of my IV plug, and I set the alarm off. So I had all my nurses running over because I was in such a hurry to get food. So, oh no, I'm fine. I'm just hungry. <laughs> yeah, I basically ate my way through chemo for the most part. I'd get my mom's up, like my mom up at random times in the night. It'd be three o'clock, and I'd be like, Mom, could you make me some toaster waffles? I did that maybe. Every night when I first was diagnosed, after they sent me back home, I think every night at 
just random times during the night, three, five, one, just random times. I'd just be like, yo, can I have some toaster waffles? Everything would always change too. I'd have toaster waffles and then maybe after a little bit more of treatment started, I, it would be um, Hot Pockets or after some more, it'd just be um, uh, cheese sticks. Like it, it, it was always something random, but I completely ate my way through chemo. Yeah, um, I had high metabolism as well as Alex. I mostly preferred warm food, though cheese definitely helped. I remember I could eat probably double like previously when I was on the steroids initially. So like I could used to be able to eat like six of um. You guys know what pierogies are, right? Like the oh, yeah. potatoes. Yeah. Well, I could usually eat six of those. I could eat double of that and feel fine. Oh, that is so cool. And Jay, I can understand your feeling because I'd be up at three in the morning eating microwave pizza with Doritos on it. Um, I like I like experimenting with food and food cravings did not help that. I do remember at points when I was in the hospital and I was at home, I'd wake up and because the steroids did affect me mentally, I know a lot of people had a short fuse like as in temper, but for me, it affected me. I would get up and I'd start crying and I'd freak my parents out and they'd be like, what's wrong? What's wrong? I want younger. <laughs> and so. They were like, oh, no, I'm not getting that. So I would just sit there and cry until I fell asleep. But when I was in the hospital, I would wake up and I would ask for a croissant for, from Starbucks. So huh. five in the morning, my parents would be getting dressed just to go down to Starbucks, get a croissant, bring it back. I, for me not to eat it or me to want double of what I had asked for. And it was funny. It was funny. Um, I spent most of my time on the steroid at home. Um, it did kind of put me into a sadder state, I would say. Keeping me up at night just kept me just a little irritated just because I couldn't sleep as much as I tried to. One good thing about steroids, though, the cravings caused me to make my own recipe for meatloaf. Yeah, my, my steroids made me the, the, the short fruit fuse rage monster. It was uh, my mom was always scared because like she already knew like my personality really well. And she always says my eyebrows tells my entire story. So like when I was on steroids, if she said something even a little bit like I was like, like I just look at her and she could cover out everything that was not my eyebrows. And she'd know from my eyebrow expression. It was always like that. And I joined the PlayStation parties being like, I, I thought I sounded like, hey, guys, I, I'm on steroids. So let's just try to have the best time that we could or can. And um Instead, it kind of sounded like I'm on steroids, leave me alone. So it was always like those uh, things like I thought I was doing well, but um, it, everyone else was like, oh, OK. <laughs> yeah, I do remember a couple times where it did spark a fuse. One time I had gotten upset with my brother and I raised my voice a little too loud and I yelled at him and he had never heard me yell that loud before. And so he ended up getting really upset after that. I did feel bad for that. And so I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. I didn't mean to do that. So I had to take a couple of breaths and my parents had to deal with them. But steroids do really get to you, like mentally and emotionally. For me, it was mainly a lot of crying for absolutely no reason. But I did have a few short fuses. I've been told I was one of the most positive people to go into the pediatrics clinic. Because I've been told a lot of people go in there and they're really quiet and things when they go into when they start their treatment. 
I was always just chipper and talking to the nurses, being sassy and stuff. I was that exact same person. Every time they saw me come in for spinal tap or getting my port access, we had the nurses fight over on who's going to access my port. And then we had the doctors or um, nurse practitioners fight over who's going to do my lumbar puncture. And I'm like, you guys got to make up your mind. You know, I wish every one of you could do it, but we only have one to do. So we got to figure this out and who could do it next time. And I wanted it done because I couldn't eat because um, I did have conscious anesthesia, conscious sedation or anesthesia. Even though the drug is in a mild form, it's still a very heavy drug because my um, weight was so light. It did affect me. And I like had, I couldn't even walk after having the medicine put in me. I couldn't eat because it did make me dizzy too. After that, I was like, I gotta eat, I gotta eat. So you go on, you go under for lumbar punctures? Yeah, well, I don't go fully asleep. I get them sedated, but still awake. I get my spinal taps numb, but not sedated. Oh, man. Does it even hurt, or? If it goes wrong, it hurts. <laughs> oh, yeah, you do got a point. If I just hold my position, I just grip my teeth and get through it. It's just faster, and I get to eat in the morning and all that, so I'm not miserable feeling. I'm going to turn the conversation back to video games. I forget who said it, but someone said that video games were a really good distraction during treatment, like Colton did, but I see other face um, heads nodding. What would you say were all the benefits of video games? I'd say overall, um, first of all, what video games are is a distraction. They're something to take up your time and entertain you. Well, that would be the second thing. Well, so they take up your time and they just fill the space where you have nothing to do, first and foremost. Second of all, they're, they can be very entertaining or engaging based on what kind of game you're playing. Because it could be a fast-paced action game. It could be a feel-good game. It, you can really find any kind of game to suit your need. Yeah, I was playing clinic and it helped my clinic visits go a lot faster, even though sometimes they're at least seven to eight hours when they should have taken two to three. Um, it did help it go faster. I remember sometimes when I had surgeries, they were delayed. When I was getting my port put in, I did play some games and it helped time pass. But I was getting it taken out. I had a six to seven hour delay and it wasn't fun. But when you are playing video games, it does help pass the time. When you are waiting, because there is a lot of waiting when you're getting treatment, you know, the waiting room, blood transfusion, chemotherapies, they take all this time and video games help distract you from what's happening and they make time seem shorter than it is. And by the time you're done with the game, you're either halfway through or just about done with your treatment. Yeah, when I'm in the infusion clinic, if I take something, it's either my phone to play games or YouTube, my Switch when I'm in the hospital, or my 3DS XL I have here. Kind of an older device, but has a lot of good games on it still. Yeah, I think a huge thing as well is um, to keep your mind like active and like really keep everything going and like you can be really unhealthy if you don't like exercise your mind too and playing these games makes you think and makes you exercise your mind without having to really be too physical with things and uh that's one of the things that my mom or me both say that like that kept me alive like as well like not only the treatment, but exercising my mind and keeping sane, talking to people and like being able 
interact and actually think and be able to try to complete this mission or something like that is just very beneficial and was one of the things that I really do think that helped me in my treatment. I never thought about that, the like mental exercise part of it. Yeah, I can definitely agree with that. Just having something to take up that space where you'd otherwise be completely alone. My living situation is a small house next to my parents' house. So even when they're home, I'm alone over here in this house. It would be especially quiet as well. Having something to do and fill that space was definitely very helpful for me. Sorry, it also did this kind of thing for me where not only did it entertain me, but also gave me something to think about. Give me something to, to just think of when I'm sitting here at night. It's a whole world of characters that I've come to care about. It's a, a bit more of self-immersion or daydreaming, if you will. I'm pretty sure you're familiar with this, but they do have, um, if you do go to clinics on Thursdays, they have hospital bingo. And I know um, because things have been more digital, I know they zoom in from the clinic to where they run the bingo. You play with Hershey Kisses and everything. And um, if you win, they will have someone come down and bring you your prize. And I honestly think it's really cool. When I was having my chemo, there would be a group of children coming out to the playroom and they would have to zoom up from upstairs because they couldn't do it in the clinic. That is something I find pretty cool is that along with all this technology, they can even zoom in um, games that are happening in different places and you can still participate in them. I want to ask about this mental exercise. And that made me think about this one possible drawback to gaming. When you're under treatment, your muscle mass generally takes a pretty big hit, like your physical conditioning. And gaming generally is done sitting. So you're not actually getting physical exercise. How did you guys balance that out and make sure you're getting enough physical exercise? Or would you say that's still possibly a drawback? I see your statement and I counter it with an Oculus Quest. A VR headset. So if I want, when I want to, I can clear some space in my living room and do physical exercise with this. I also have a game on my Switch called um, Fitness Boxing, which is like a rhythm game, which is supposed to help you work out as well. So there are workout games you can get if you have the right systems. Well, there are, but do you do them? Occasionally. So what about you guys? Do you think that there's a risk that you're too sedentary um, if you're gaming too much? Oh, yeah, without a doubt. Um, The thing is, before I did have cancer, I played three different sports. It was basketball, soccer, and track. And if I showed you a picture, I don't have it right now, but if I showed you a picture of what I looked like before I had started chemotherapy, I was extremely muscular. I had really broad shoulders because I did a lot of running. My legs had the tone to the muscle, and you could see every shape of the muscle. And it was... Two weeks into chemo and diagnosis, I developed peripheral neuropathy. So it was just a snap of a finger. All that muscle I worked hard for was gone. I lost a lot of weight. I did have physical therapy to help me walk again. But ever since, um, I've never had that tone of muscle or, um, you know, fitness I had before I was even sick. I'm still working to get back to where I was, but it is going to be a lot of work. There wasn't much I could do of his exercise. I know Minecraft is a really good mental working game because it requires a lot of building and, um, you know, brainstorming because, you know, they have all this machinery and redstone you can use. And um, 
you know, what kind of rooms you need in your house or your farm. And, you know, how is the whole system of your Minecraft world going to function? That did help my brain, like, process stuff. I remember some of my friends are like, oh, how are you going to do this? I'm like, well, we got to set this down here and down here. Like, oh, it's not going to work. And, you know, I set the thing up that I was seeing and they're like, oh, it works. I'm like, yeah, I told you it was going to work. Obviously, being immobile and gaming can make you not exercise more on the physical aspect, but you can do things like, I'm play this game called Rocket League, which is basically like a soccer game. Every time someone scores, I will get up and do a push-up or try to do something like that. And it doesn't have to be a perfect push-up, but I just try. And every time you just get a little bit stronger and do it more and more. And even though you might not want to, it's still part of the game. And I have friends that are very enforcive, so they will make you do it. Even like me gaming all this time and for those hours a day, my friends have like their home gyms. I have a home gym that I can go down, even just FaceTime them and they can do it together with me and just keep me um, always trying to push myself to look the way I want to look after everything and still make me stronger. And I couldn't even walk up the stairs i had these this house that was like had five flights of stairs it was just it was thinner but it was like it it was just went the whole way up and i I couldn't walk up the first two stairs without feeling absolutely exhausted i had to have my mom's boyfriend basically carry me up to my room now i help him carry furniture down the stairs up the stairs anywhere and the progression from just doing little things with friends or just in your room, even if you're bored or something, and just do a plank for as long as you can, even if it's like 10 seconds, just doing that here and there is just so beneficial and it makes you stronger than you think you are. Yeah, I had the same issue. Um, my parents had to carry me up the stairs. We have Two flights. We have the one in our basement going up to um, the kitchen, and then we have one in our living room going up to different bedrooms. Like you said, it's like one or two steps, and you know it was finished. You couldn't do it. I also had trouble jumping. That was another thing that neuropathy really kicked my butt at. And even like if you fall, getting up was a really big hassle. I was just too weak to get up. I didn't have the muscular strength to get up because of the neuropathy and the damage of the chemotherapy. Walking took about two weeks to fix. Getting up took about a month. And then learning to jump, that had taken about three months. It did affect my ability to run um, because the neuropathy does something to the nerves and the muscles. For some reason, you know, mentally, I was really familiar with running. But when I ran, I was stumbling with every step and I was at really high risk for falling. So I would have to go out to my yard after an hour or two of video games and try to jog or sprint down to my yard to regain that ability. And it was a lot of work, but like you said, it's just step by step. And the next thing you know, you're able to get up all these flight of stairs, you're able to lift, you're able to jump and do all the things you're able to do again. And that's just something really amazing that has also happened to me as well. 
I did have a lot of trouble walking at first. Within a couple of days, I went from full running power to barely walking to the point where I even, I didn't take it seriously enough back when it first started. So I even fell once. Nothing, no major injury. My glasses took a blow to my head. But after that, um, I started going to a, a physical clinic in real life. And so at that point, I wasn't really doing too much of the physical games I mentioned. It was more of going to a, a therapy instead. I do have options at home that could help me in video game form, but I don't think they can always equate to being good as a therapy. Because at therapy, I was able to start running and stuff again. And it even goes to now. I'm not doing too many of those things right now. I want to get into one of my fitness games, but I do have this other therapy system right now. Yeah, so like physical therapy is a, was an important part of regaining kind of muscle mass and conditioning. Would you guys name, I mean, are there any other possible drawbacks to video gaming during cancer treatment? Um, if you don't get your priorities done. Uh, if you are just doing it without a care in the world and it's getting involved with other forms of your health or somebody else's time that you already committed to, or if you're just not doing your school if you need to, or priorities in general, just if that gets in the way, that's something that could be a downside that you have to uh, be able to put your gaming aside, get those priorities done, and then you can have the reign to game as much as you want. I can agree with that. Gaming can be an absolutely amazing thing that is great for everyone involved as long as you don't screw yourself over in the process yeah um because of my autism i get distracted easily so if i'm on video games it's really hard to keep me back on track so what my parents always did is they say if you get your schoolwork done or you get this amount of schoolwork done or any work in general they'll let me play for a certain amount of time they say if you get it all done yeah you have the rest of the evening to yourself because i do work with kids who go to a charter school we do the same thing. Uh, you know, they're on their computers, they're watching YouTube, and they're playing games. It does affect their physical health, and they tend to see computers are more fun. But however, you know, physical health and, you know, exercising is a lot of fun. I still find it's a lot of fun. Um, usually, if the kids are well, because they do work with troubled kids, if they're jumping around and running around, they're not listening. They're like, all right, guys, you got to come do these jumping jacks. They find jumping jacks a lot of fun. And I'll say... Well, if you don't listen, I'm going to have to bump them up by five. Like, no! I love how it sounds like you guys figured out that you have to decide what your priorities are and then then get them done. And I'm going to guess that that wasn't always like an easy thing to accomplish. Like you learned it because sometimes maybe you played too, too much and something yeah. didn't if you get don't, If you don't get the message soon enough, it kicks you in the face. Yeah. Did it ever lead to any conflict with parents? Uh, I was constantly had to be pushed to do my schoolwork. That was always a big thing. Getting my virtual yeah. classes done. There was like, as I said before, being on chemo um, messed me up like emotion- a little bit emotionally. Where I was kind of, I wouldn't say I was depressed, but I was kind of in a depressive state where I just, some days I didn't feel like doing anything, games included. And it, you would have to take a push to get me to do it. Yeah, my parents would always say, we understand you want to play games with your friends. However, you need to pass school. I get that your memory is really bad and um, 
you know, at the same time, you're not feeling well, but we really do need to work on the grades because my ninth grade year was a pass fail because the chemo is just so heavy. My school didn't want me to worry about grades. But however, in 10th grade, when I was still on treatment, they said, all right, we really got to nail down on these grades and we got to get going. So it was school and homework first. And then whatever time I had left, I was just free to play games and stuff. So my parents did always make sure whatever priorities I had, they were going to be done. My ninth grade year uh, for school, I got a um, basically like a pass because my school was like, just focus on your health. We'll let you still graduate this year with your class. But I had to make up my ninth grade as well as my 10th grade. So they kind of smushed the two together. And by 10th grade, I was going through maintenance, I believe. I had to combine some of my ninth grade classes. And then like uh, I took myself out of school for flu season because I just wasn't going to get sick again. I combined it like more online classes and stuff for um, uh, my ninth and 10th. So like, yeah, moms or dads, they, they will definitely uh, be able to tell you if you're gaming too much or if you're if you just need to get something done they'll be able to uh kind of snap you out of it and uh, like a lot of uh cancer patients or just anybody in general that's going through like a harder situation you have to mature a little bit quicker than like some of your pals can that kind of can help you realize like hey not everything's like gonna be easy and you're gonna have to work for the stuff you really want to do it definitely makes you mature a lot faster. Also made me realize, you know, how everyone says that you don't ever think something's going to happen to you when you hear about something bad happening. I think that that stands true. No matter how hard you try to think the opposite, no matter how much you think, oh, this could happen to me. You really don't think it's going to happen to you ever. It, it just something else still blindside you no matter what. Yeah, cancer did the same thing for me. You know, I was healthy. I had I had perfect attendance in school. Um, whenever I got sick, it was mild. And I said, I'm not going to have a problem. But, you know, out of the blue, the cancer hit. And I'm like, oh, I didn't know that could happen out of the blue. And because, you know, leukemias, you know, we don't know what the cause is. It could just happen to anyone, even though... From what I hear, it's one out of every thousand kids. It could just happen to anyone. And um, even in that time, you've got to be ready to take a challenge on. You know, you just can't give up. Once it's happening, you've got to move and you got to fight. It's just that kind of deal. There can be some pressure on you as a cancer patient to always be fighting, don't give up. But then there also are the really bad days, the hard, hard days. What advice or and kind of wisdom do you have for teens that are having just one of those hard days or even a series of days? Like, what did you learn that you can pass on to them? I know one day I did have a really bad day. I had known a family who had a family member with leukemia and they died from pneumonia. And one day I went in and they took my temperature and they did my blood counts and my hemoglobin was low and I had a temperature of 101 and they said there's something wrong with me and the doctor took a listen to my lungs and they heard something in the lower right portion of my lungs. So I was really sick and they sent me for an x-ray and they said I had pneumonia because pneumonia is the second deadliest cause of leukemia patients' death. 
I was scared and I was extremely upset. And my mom told me, this is scary, but don't give up. Um, you're in some amazing hands and whatever happens, we would be there for you. And I looked up and I stopped crying and I said, you know what? I will keep going. Always tell yourself that, you know, you have people who care about you and they surround you. They still love you despite, you know, your illness and they're just going to be there with you no matter what. Something I would say to someone who's going through this stuff right now is there's a lot of bad stuff that can go on with you. I, when I first started, had 50% of my lungs put taken up from a mass in my chest. I had to go through several biopsies awake to deal with it. And then much later on my treatment, I had to deal with teeth pressing and and fissures at the same time, which is the worst pain I've ever experienced. Like morphine couldn't make the pain go away. But through all of it, I knew for a fact it was going to go away. I just had to sit through it. It was going to pass. If everything seems to be really dark for you, just remember it will come to pass. Good things will come. You just need to be able to stick through it all. I'd say that no matter what you're going through, now, even though someone's, no one has ever gone through exactly what you're going through, everybody has their own unique story in some way or another. Someone out there can relate to at least a portion of what you're going through. We've been talking about this whole podcast. We've been talking and we've been able to make a connection like that, like this. And somehow it wasn't the exact same, but in some way there's portions that someone else is with you and knows exactly how you feel. And there's times that it's just harder and you just want to be sluggish, but you just got to be able to build it up and be like cancer or an illness that is going to happen is just less than anything. And you are greater than that disease and you can overcome it as long as you believe you can. Never give up. Yep. They said that when, um, after my first bone marrow biopsy, it was positive for leukemia and everyone was freaking out. And the day that I came to my second bone marrow biopsy to figure out if the cancer was still not, still there or not, my doctor gave me an 80% chance that it was gone and a 20 to 15% chance it was still there. We sat at home after the biopsy for two to three days, hoping that it was gone. And we got the call that they had thrown my cancer into remission after a month. And, you know, even though that first month was extremely dark, the cancer was inside of me. Time flew by. I didn't give up. And we found out that the doctors at Hershey had knocked my cancer out. It was some of the best news we'd gotten. Now, of course, my parents being parents, they were emotional about it. And I had jumped up from my bed and I'm going, yeah, it's out of me. Nobody's alone in this. But sometimes you can feel really alone and having a podcast that we have recorded that we can have other teens listen to, that helps. And then hopefully we can help them get connected to you guys too, so they can actually meet you guys, you know, meet other teens that have been through it. Have you not a podcast on mental attitudes? Yeah, I know. Um, mental health is really important in teens because they're going through a change, not only in their life, but when cancer hits, it's another emotional toll. 
I know lots of people feel alone. They feel sad because they're sick and they can't do anything. But um, they also need to know, you know, what kind of things could I do to help, you know, shape my mental health up? What could I do to prevent depression or anxiety when I'm going through treatments or even after treatment? There is a portion of patients who have anxiety over their cancer relapsing. Now, I know I've never had that anxiety because my doctor has always told me, oh, we don't expect it to come back. And even if it does, it's it's extremely treatable from your prognosis. Um, I've never had that anxiety. It's kind of like an after effect. It never hit me. But however, other people, it does. And um, we should do a podcast on that and find people who do have like anxiety or depression relating to, you know, their chemo and um, their cancer. I feel like that would be a really good topic to talk about. Okay. Well, the last question I'd like you to weigh in on is like, what tips or tricks or recommendations do you have for someone that's newly diagnosed? I do have one advice to any kids who are newly diagnosed. Don't be afraid to get out there and talk to other kids. You know, even if they're younger or older, I was one of the kids or teens that were diagnosed in January. Within a span of two to three weeks, we had three teenage girls come in, same type of cancer, and, you know, around the same type of day, within a week span. I got to know these two people. I do still keep in contact with one of them. You know, every so often we would go out to the lobby, we would chat, we would have hot chocolate or coffee. Newly diagnosed people, it's really important to get out and um, know who you're staying with and, you know, the community around and even become friends with your nurses because once you're diagnosed, you don't know how long your treatment is or what your prognosis is going to be like. Because for me, my leukemia treatment took two and a half years really quickly. And it took about a month. I became really good friends with my nurses. Throughout the time, they would be really excited to see me. We would chitter chatter and all the fun stuff. And if you're too sick, like Colton said, don't be afraid to get each other's contacts. I did have one of my friend's numbers. So whenever we want to meet, we would text each other and say, we can meet at the lobby or we can meet downstairs. It's really important to keep in contact with those people as well as meeting new people. It did help me because when I was in the hospital, I thought, you know, I'm not going to have much visitors, but little did I know I made new friends who lived a room or two down from me. It was really sweet to have those people. I'd say it's good to find people to contact with. This helps you keep touch. And along with having nurses who you go along with pretty well. I know Effie always gives me funny looks whenever I walk into the clinic. But my tip would be find some way to distract yourself. It doesn't matter if you're a person who likes games or not. Like If you like games, great. Bring some kind of handheld, whether it's a game on your phone or a DS like I have. Or if you don't like games, bring earbuds and a device and watch YouTube. You, there's a lot of content on there that can keep you entertained for a long while. If not technology, then maybe a book. Something to entertain yourself. Keep your mind away from just being absent. Yeah, I, I have a few things too. First one is uh, after a bit, the cafeteria food, for me anyways, started to get a little bit old. I always had my mom running out because there was a whole bunch of great places uh, right near Penn State, the hospital, and like like five guys or and there'd be like McDonald's or um, any place like that. Uh, there's actually a book 
huge book that you can get from one of the nurses or something that has like a delivery place, like for every single one of them in the area. I had no idea this. My mom could have saved so much gas money. I didn't know this until my very last admission. So if we could start uh, saying that a little bit sooner. Uh, that'd be great. There's that. And then something a little bit more sour. I know some people that go through this and they get bullied for it, which is absolutely unacceptable. And it makes me so angry to even hear because for someone to not choose by any standards or did anything wrong to get any of this, to get bullied is absolutely ridiculous. And the people that are bullying probably just feel weak around you because they know that they couldn't go through something that you went through because you are so much stronger than anyone. And this is one of the hardest things you can go through. You going through this just makes you absolutely incredible. Thanks for listening to Life on Pause. Ideas or suggestions for future episodes? Feel free to share them with us. Join us for the next recording on the third Tuesday of the month. Until Until next time. time.